Hello and welcome to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. This week, we're turning our attention to Scotland and the question of independence in the aftermath of the Scottish parliamentary elections and the other elections that took place across the UK. What are the perspectives for Scottish independence and this question of a second independence referendum? Why is Boris Johnson so opposed to a referendum? And why are the capitalist class so fearful of the growing discontent and anger by Scottish workers and youth? How do socialists intervene in such a process and fight for the right to self-determination? And what role do the trade unions and the mass of the working class play in this struggle for self-determination and the struggle for socialist change of society? This episode of Socialism looks at Scotland and the question of independence. Hello and welcome to this episode of Socialism, the podcast from the Socialist Party. My name's Lenny Shale and I'm here today with the National Secretary of Socialist Party Scotland, the sister organisation of the Socialist Party in Scotland, Philip Stott, just to talk through the current perspective, what's going on in Scotland and the question of a second independence referendum. So just to start things off, Philip, as predicted following the May the 6th elections, there's a pro-independence majority in Hollywood. What's the perspective now for a second independence referendum? Well, that's right, Lenny. There was a significant majority in terms of MSPs elected on May the 6th, pledging for a second independence referendum. And that probably reflected the growing support over the last number of years among the working class and young people in favour of an independent Scotland, with the SNP and the Scottish Greens being the main recipients of that independence support. However, it's a bit more complex now because while there is a clear majority of 72 MSPs in the Scottish Parliament who favour a second referendum, Nicola Sturgeon, who's the SNP First Minister in Scotland, does not intend to ask for the powers to hold a referendum at least until next year. So the can has been kicked down the road for a while. So it's possible that the major collision that was in the offing and still is between Boris Johnson, who is going to refuse the right to a second referendum in Scotland, and then the Scottish working class and young people for whom independence is an extremely important issue, that that collision has been avoided probably until the beginning of next year, which is the probable timescale for when the Scottish Parliament will pass a resolution, will lay legislation for a second referendum, and we'll ask for what's called a Section 30 order, which is the legal framework which would allow a referendum on Scottish independence to take place. And why, why is Boris Johnson so opposed to referendum? Well, the fundamental reason why Boris Johnson, the leadership of the Tory party, British capitalism as a whole, the leadership of the Labour Party, the leadership of the Liberal Democrats, all the forces who really want to defend the union are doing so for one fundamental reason, that the interests of British capitalism is to maintain the unity of the United Kingdom. It would be an economic and geopolitical, and in terms of the overall interests of big business, it would be a disaster if the breakup of the UK was to happen. And obviously Scotland is probably the weakest of all the links in the chain that keeps the UK together, but it's by no means the only one. 
because we've also seen recently the highest levels of support ever for Welsh independence. There is a growing demands among nationalists in the north of Ireland for a border poll on Irish reunification and an enormous opposition to that among unionists in the north of Ireland. And in Scotland, we've got probably just over 50% of the population who now back Scottish independence. So from the point of view of the interests of British capitalism, they do not want under any circumstances to face the dismemberment of the UK and therefore they want to try and stop that from happening and not allowing an independence referendum for Scotland is at least a very likely tactic that they will use to try and prevent it from happening. And the elections revealed, a bit like we just touched on there, there's a big, deep polarisation on the question of independence. What do you think sort of lies behind that? What's the reasoning behind it? Yeah, well, I think that's a very important question, Lenny, and it goes to the heart of some of the key challenges facing the independence movement in Scotland and the working class generally. What you had on May the 6th was an extremely polarised election around the national question. Broadly speaking, 50% of those who voted voted for the pro-independence parties, primarily the SNP and also the Scottish Greens. And then half of the population voted for the pro-union parties, primarily the Tories, Labour and the Liberal Democrats. So it's a polarised situation. For those under the age of 30 right now, approaching 70% back independence. For those over the age of 55 you're probably getting closer to about 65 or 70% who oppose independence. So you can see how polarised the situation is there. Even among workers, there is a division on the issue about whether independence would be a good thing in terms of the economy, jobs, pensions, austerity, cuts or whatever it may be. And the SNP have an absolutely dogmatic position in favour of capitalism. So all the SNP are offering is an independent capitalist Scotland, within which we believe that none of the fundamental issues that face working class people of austerity, of cuts, of poverty, of food banks, none of those issues can be resolved. So in the hands of the SNP leadership, they can't answer the fears of workers, of those workers who are worried about whether an independent Scotland could deliver in terms of living standards, or also have the idea that they want to maintain a certain unity of the working class across the rest of Britain. And therefore, socialist policies are the only way to answer fear, whether that's project fear from big business and British capitalism, who will argue that an independent Scotland would be economically inviable, that all the companies would leave Scotland and move back to England and so on and so forth, that that will be part of the campaign. And the only way to answer that is through socialist policies and pointing out that through public ownership, through democratic planning, through increasing the minimum wage to £15 an hour, ending privatisation, bringing the companies back, as I say, into public ownership, including oil and gas, and for a socialist transition in terms of the environment. Those are the only issues that can really answer workers' fears. So it's quite polarised just now, and the leadership of the independence movement is in the hands of pro-capitalist forces, and those pro-capitalist forces can't answer the fears that are raised by the working class right now. It's an interesting point there. I know, like, Socialist Party Scotland, we campaigned for a yes vote in the 2014 referendum, but we were never part of the official independence campaign, and similar, I suppose, today as well. And why is that? Well, again, this goes to the heart of how are you going to win a majority for independence. In 2014, in the first NDRF, the formal yes campaign was dominated by the SNP, and with a prognosis 
economically, socially and politically, of no fundamental change. Yes, the flag would change. Yes, the nature of Scotland would be an independent country. But in terms of big business ruling our lives, in terms of the demands of the SNP at that stage, they wanted to cut corporation tax for big business. They wanted to create a kind of Celtic tiger based on the Republic of Ireland as it had been previously. So none of that was going to answer any of the questions. So we felt there needed to be a socialist campaign in favour of independence. We put the class questions to the fore because so many working class people and young people are voting for independence to change their lives to change their lives, not just the flag, to change the chance for a job and a decent wage, to end zero-hour contracts and to turn their backs on a decade of austerity. So none of those issues can be dealt with without socialist policies. So we established in 2014 the Socialist Campaign for Independence. We appealed to other socialists, trade unionists, those on the left to take part in such a movement. We'll do the same again. We'll do the same again in the context of a second independence referendum. The bottom line is, if you leave the fight for self-determination and the struggle for an independent socialist scholar in the hands of the pro-capitalist independence forces, it will not succeed. It has to be linked to the class struggle and has to be linked to the transformation of society in a socialist direction. And by the way, it's extremely important that the independence movement in Scotland also has an appeal to the working class in England and Wales and Ireland uh, and in that sense across Europe as well. And that's why we stand, Socialist Party Scotland fight, not just for an independent socialist Scotland, but also for a socialist federation on a voluntary basis between Scotland, England, Wales and Ireland as a step to a socialist Europe. In other words, we want to break the capitalist union, but we also want to forge a new socialist cooperation and collaboration based on voluntary coming together of the working class to establish a socialist planned economy. We can't do it in one country, but we can do it across countries, across continents and across the world. It's an interesting point there, Phil. I know like we had similar in the EU referendum. We refused to be part of any official campaigns. We fight for a socialist exit. I think that focus on an independent campaign for the working class is really important. Now, another question I think is, most people would think of the trade unions as organisations defending workers in the workplace. But why do you think they also have a role in this struggle? Just an interesting insight into that. I remember I was at the Communication Workers Union conferences back in 2013, 14, before and also after the referendum. And I actually spoke in favour of motions, in favour of Scottish independence, alongside one of the Socialist Party Scotland members, Gary Clark. And at the time, there was a big movement by the bureaucracy of the union to argue against support for independence or even to stay neutral. But they supported the no campaign. They joined that sort of coalition project fear. And I think there was hordes of people, the CBU, lost members, similar other unions. Why do you think it's still important that unions play a role in this struggle? It goes back to what we've been discussing over the last few minutes, Lenny. I think that we recognise that there needs to be a working class labour movement campaign for self-determination. There is the basic democratic right, isn't there, for a second referendum. And the trade unions have adopted in Scotland overwhelmingly support for that right to a second referendum. Even if you didn't support independence, there's definitely a right for a second NDRF following the election. So the trade unions could play a critical role in building a mass campaign using the methods of the working class, which are what? Their mass mobilisation, its demonstrations, its strikes, its occupations, because the only way to shift 
the opposition of British capitalism is to build a mass movement. That's the lessons that were learned in Catalonia a few years ago in confrontation with the Spanish capitalist state over the right to self-determination in Catalonia itself. So we are arguing that the trade unions have a, a dual role to play here. They should build and launch an independent campaign for the right to self-determination, that is a second independence referendum, and build a mass movement and not leave it to the pro-capitalist SNP leaders to do that. The second thing the trade unions need to do in particular is to call a conference in order to discuss the building of a new workers' party in Scotland. That is a critically important step. A new workers' party with a sensitive position on self-determination, unlike Labour, who under Keir Starmer and now the new Blairite leader in Scotland, Anna Sarwa, are completely tone deaf to the demands and the mood in favour of independence among big sections of the working class in Scotland. But a new Workers' Party that took a principal position in support of a second independence referendum, that stood for an independent socialist Scotland, but also for the unity of the working class across the rest of Britain, that type of party could play a crucial role in building mass support for self-determination, for a second NDRF, and for the socialist transformation of society. And by doing that, they would also undercut support for the pro-capitalist forces like the SNP and the Scottish Greens as well. So thanks for that, Philip. I mean, you touched on there about the question of a new mass workers party and the need for that. And obviously, I know Socialist Party Scotland stood as part of the Trade Unions and Socialist Coalition in the last May elections, which obviously similarly in England, Wales, the Socialist Party took part in as well. How do you see the development of that in Scotland and what sort of ways can we as socialists and maybe for any young activists, young socialists or workers listen to this, what steps can they maybe take in terms of joining that struggle? Well, I think that's a really important question. So what we have is we've had the Tusk, the Trade Union and Socialist Coalition election campaign in Scotland as we had for the Welsh Senate as well and obviously in local government in England and Wales. And we stood in places like Glasgow, Aberdeen, Dundee, West Scotland, the Highlands and Islands to offer a socialist option on the ballot paper that took a principled position on the independence question. We argued for an independent socialist Scotland, for a mass movement in favour of that second referendum of standing up and taking on the Tories and the capitalist forces who want to deny self-determination for Scotland for their own selfish class reasons, as we touched on earlier. So Tusk was really about, you know, a vehicle, an option on the ballot paper to put the issue of a new workers' party and of socialist policies centre stage in it. We believe that Tusk played a crucial role against the backdrop of many forces on the left in Scotland abstaining from the election, refusing to put up candidates, which we believe was a mistake and a mistake that shouldn't be repeated. And therefore, Tusk was an important vehicle for us in terms of the election a few weeks ago. We don't see it as a replacement for a workers' party, but we do see it as a step towards a new workers' party in Scotland. And we would appeal to young people, to trade unionists, to come and talk to us, discuss with us and social Party Scotland and can consider help us build through Tusk a real political alternative for the working class. But at the same time, we think that the role of socialists in the trade union movement is also to begin to raise the issue about political representation, the need for the trade unions to build that new workers party. And it's true what you said earlier on, some of the trade union leaders in 2014, without consultation, proper consultation with their members, did take a no position. But the majority of the unions last time around in 2014 kind of abstained, took a middle position that it's up to you how you vote on the question of independence. But certainly we're at a stage now 
where capitalism is determined to try and prevent the breakup of the UK. So the question of the right to have that referendum is crucial. But above all, it's the question of what sort of society do we want to build? If you're voting for independence, you're more likely than not to be voting for seeking a way out of the oppression that you face under capitalism. And unless you answer that with socialist policies and therefore a new workers' party and therefore the question of political representation being so important in that, then you're not going to be able to find those answers. So we'd appeal to people to come to talk to us, discuss with us about the task of building a mass movement for socialist change, for self-determination for Indira F2 and to build a new workers' party in Scotland as well. Brilliant, Philip. I think that was a fantastic summary of the chat we've had today. Cheers. Thanks, Lenny. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. Today, we heard from Philip Stott, the National Secretary of Socialist Party Scotland, and I'm Lenny Shale. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can find further reading in the notes in your podcast app, And if you want to get in touch, email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Socialism the podcast relies on the funding from our members and supporters. We have no big business backers or adverts, and this allows us to maintain our political independence. Can you help fund this podcast? You can make a regular donation or one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk slash donate. Even more importantly, if you agree with the ideas of the Socialist Party, and the ideas we've raised here today and in our other episodes, please get in touch and find out about how you can become a member of the Socialist Party and join the fight for the socialist transformation of society. Apply to join at socialistparty.org.uk slash join. And if you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism wherever you are, contact the Committee for Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net.